Good evening. Oh, yeah, backed off just a little. Thanks. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. We have guests. Uh, I have family members here from out of town. Would you just. Uh, and behind them is one of your classmates, Jeremiah. Will you wait, raise your hand, wave your hand? Actually, no, not a classmate, right? You finished. Yeah, so this is an alum from, from the Bible College. He is uh, now National Guard and, and doing a little visiting, so that's why he's here tonight. So glad you're here. <laughs> Actually, yes. I'm sorry to bring that up. We are... I think you said last week that we were going to do a little um, examination this, uh, tonight, so I'm keeping my word. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Would you stand with me? I want us to sing a sub couple of songs about the one who makes it possible for us to be like him. Two, three. You make it possible for us to say that. You are Lord. Of everything that concerns us, you are Lord. Of all of our hopes and aspirations, you are Lord. Of all of our questions, of all of our concerns, of all of our blessings, of all of the love you've given us, you are Lord. And we give you praise. We thank you for what you have in store for us. We pray for the grace to respond with our lives, with our hearts, with all of us. Because every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that We are being transformed. It's been the theme since, uh, since the beginning of the school year. Uh, Josh, you need you to back me down a little bit. Thanks. I, I can hear myself enough, but not that much. Thanks. Um, it's been the aim of every chapel service that we've had so far, and it will be the aim of all the services that we'll have until the end of the term, that we focus on the possibility of being transformed into Christ-likeness. That's the focus. So, like I said earlier and like I said last week, I think probably a good idea to do a little checkup. Let's do a little progress report, see how we're doing. Anyone arrived yet? Anybody achieved full Christ-likeness? Okay, I'm, I'm glad for that response. I figured that was the case. Anyone have a ways to go? Okay, all right, we're all in unity there. 
You don't have to answer this question. Anyone further along than you were last fall? I hope that's the case. You don't have to answer this one either. Anyone not as far along now as you were then? Answers to the last two questions are the most important ones we can answer, right? We are being transformed into Christ-likeness. That's the theme. The question is, are we? The theme comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, just one verse. It's chapter 3, verse 18. And I want to read it from the New American Standard Bible. It reads like this. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit, the Word of the Lord. It is just like Paul to, to use language that's vague enough that you have to spend some time to unpack it in order to really understand what he's saying. Just like Paul. So the middle phrase up on the screen is the one that I want us to, the one that I want us to look at. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now that is a long way of saying what Paul says in the next chapter in verse four. Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. And so if we put that with what this verse says, it reads something like this. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in Christ the mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image, the image in the mirror, the image of Christ, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So, in other words... The word mirror here in verse 18 refers to Jesus. We are beholding in Christ the mirror, the glory of the Lord, and we are being changed into Christ-likeness. All in favor say aye. Aye. Okay. Excuse me. I didn't plan ahead. We're all being changed into Christ-likeness. But what I want us to think about this evening is that that's not always the case. What I mean is, is that the promise of being transformed into the image of Christ doesn't always play out. Not everyone who beholds the glory of the Lord that's reflected in Jesus Christ the mirror is transformed into Christ-like. Pilate, Herod, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they're a good case in point. So you see, it wasn't that they didn't get it. It wasn't that they didn't see God's image reflected in the life and teachings of Jesus. They knew full well what Jesus meant when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He was a threat to them. He was a threat to their status. He was a threat to their power. He was a threat to their way of life. Remember, remember after Lazarus, uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? They had a little meeting, a little board meeting, a little council meeting. 
the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the council and said, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs, and if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, he said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. You can read it later in John 11. Don't you know that it's necessary for one man to die for the sake of the whole nation? They knew who Jesus was. They had beheld God's image in Jesus' miracles and in his teachings, and they didn't want any part of it. Barbara Brown Taylor is one of my favorite preachers. Uh, any class that you've had, in, had with me, I know that I've mentioned her. I just think she's insightful. In one of her sermons, she describes what happened when a little while after raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus is standing before, Jesus stood before Pilate. Here's what she says. While Pilate and the chief priests conspired to solve their mutual problem while managing to stay enemies, Jesus stood at the center of the stage like a mirror, which all those around him saw clearly saw themselves clearly for who they were. Let me read that again. Jesus stood at the center of the stage like a mirror in which all those around him saw themselves clearly for who they were. Taylor goes on to say that one way that we Christians have avoided seeing our own reflections in this mirror is that we think that this story is about Romans and Jews. See, as long as they remain the villains, as long as they're the bad guys, then we're off the hook, or so we think. Unfortunately, this story that happened long ago and far away is not just about them. Sons and daughters of God are killed in every generation. They have been killed in holy wars and in inquisitions in concentration camps and in prison cells. They have been killed in Cape Town and in Memphis and El Salvador and Alabama. The charges against them have run the gamut, but treason and blasphemy have usually headed the list just like they did for Jesus. See, he upset those who were in charge of the courthouse and the temple. He suggested, he suggested that they were not doing their jobs. So he offered himself as a mirror so they could see themselves. And they were so appalled by what they saw that they smashed it. They smashed him in every way they could. See, not everyone who beholds the glory of the Lord reflected in Jesus Christ the mirror 
is transformed into Christ-likeness. It doesn't always happen that way. So there are those folks who see him and see themselves and say, thanks, but no thanks. And they go on their way. There are others. There are others who recognize that God is revealed in Christ, and they're impressed by what they see. They respect his teachings. They respect his wisdom. They respect his influence. They think highly of his kindness, his dedication, his service. They're so moved by his passion and his suffering and his crucifixion. These folks admire Jesus for all the things that he said and did. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? One of my other favorite writers is Soren Kierkegaard, Danish Christian philosopher. He says, it's well known that Christ consistently used the expression follower. He never asked for admirers. He never asked for worshipers. He never asked for adherents. His whole life on earth from beginning to end was destined solely to have followers and to make admirers impossible. Let me say that one again. His whole life on earth from beginning to end was destined solely to have followers and to make admirers impossible. Now, what's the difference between an admirer and a follower? Kierkegaard goes on to say that a follower is or strives to be what he admires. An admirer, on the other hand, keeps himself personally detached. He fails to see that what is admired involves a claim on him, and thus he fails to strive or to be what he admires. Now, I admire marathoners and computer programmers and entrepreneurs and sculptors. I admire mountain climbers and explorers and missionaries and adventurers, but I'm not any of those. As much as I admire them, I don't have what it takes. No, let me say it another way. I haven't done what it takes. to make it happen. Now, some of it's gifting, and I'm glad that Dr. King has the gift of marathoning, and I don't. Amen. But most of it's hard work. Some of it's DNA, but most of it's discipline. Listen to Kierkegaard a little more. An admirer keeps himself personally detached. He fails to see that what is admired involves a claim upon him, and thus he fails to be or to strive to be what he admires. You see, if I'm not careful, I can become an admirer of Christ. In fact, in fact, when I read these words by Kierkegaard a couple of weeks back, uh, I realized 
I realized that in the course of serving Jesus that maybe I was becoming more of an admirer than a follower. Two things. First, easy to get busy, easy to get focused, easy to get the task done, easy to get the assignments finished, and easy to move from keeping in step with Jesus to admiring him from a distance. The other piece for me is, is a little more personal. Uh, there have been enough tragedies in my life and in the lives of my friends over the last year or so that if I'm not careful, I can allow those tragedies to move me away. And I can become an admirer of Christ because I can keep him at a distance. Another illustration, and actually I, I have permission to tell this. I was talking with somebody just the other day about his relationship with Christ. He has made major progress since the time that he was saved. God has redeemed him and has rescued him from, from a life of self-destruction. So we were talking about that, and then we were talking, and then, then he went on to say all the, all the ways that God had worked in his life. He admitted that there was still room for growth, and then he said to me something that I haven't gotten away from. He said, God's working on me about the, about, in my life about the area of sexual purity. He wants me to give that to him, but I'm not sure I'm ready to do that yet. Sexual purity is not the issue. The issue is whether or not there's anything in our lives that God's talking to us about and we're still in negotiations with him. At some point, at some point, grace becomes, grace extended becomes grace taken advantage of. At, at some point, Negotiations become disobedience. So is the person that's in this conversation with God, is that person an admirer or a follower? Kierkegaard, one more time. And, and Josh, go ahead and put this up on the screen so you can follow with me. The admirer never makes any true sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Though in a word he is inexhaustible about how highly he prizes Christ, he renounces nothing, will not reconstruct his life, will not let his life express what it is he supposedly admires. Not everyone who beholds the glory of the Lord reflected in Jesus Christ the mirror is transformed into Christ-likeness. But they can be. They can be. All in favor say aye. aye. See, that's the point of the passage. That's the, point, that's the point of the text. We're not stuck in a moment and we can't get out of it like you two sings. We can mirror the mirror. We can. All in favor say aye. We can. The passage says, but we all, 
So that's we allans. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, justice from the Lord the Spirit. So who is Paul referring to here? He's referring to men and women who are willing to be full followers of Jesus Christ. He's referring to men and women who are willing to do what it takes to be fully transformed into Christ-likeness. He is referring to men and women willing to mirror the mirror in every aspect of their lives. So now what? So now what? See, I, I know I'm speaking to a room full of people who at some point in their lives have given themselves fully to Christ and received his forgiveness. I know that. We have moved from rejecting him and admiring him to following him. You wouldn't be here if, you didn't, if that weren't true. But I, but I need to ask, is that still so? Is that still true? Are we still following Christ without restraint? Or are we negotiating? Are, are we still following him without reservation? But we're keeping, or are we keeping our distance? Are we mirroring the mirror in every aspect of our lives? I'm, I'm pulling for us. I'm hoping the answer is yes. That right now, our answer is yes. That for all intents and purposes, our answer is yes. That from now until Jesus comes again? Our answer is yes. I just need you to take a moment. Would you bow your heads, please? We must make sure that our answer is yes. Talking to the person that I mentioned earlier, old song came to mind. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. He leaves it up to us to be admirers or followers. The choice is ours.
Amen. Amen. There's one more thing. If you read the rest, of, if you read the next chapters in Corinthians, you find that Paul is willing to go through whatever it takes in order to continue to say yes. But he doesn't do it alone. And so I, I, I want to offer this to us. There is one way that we can make this happen tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, and that's to help support each other along the way. Can't get there on our own. So, so I'm inviting anybody here who would like to mirror the mirror between now and the end of the spring term to meet with me. Our first meeting will be next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, March 25 at 5.05. It's my corny thing, sorry. March 25 at 5.05 in the fireside room. I'll put it in the communicator to remind you all. I have Selena put a little thing in your mailbox to remind you. Don't want to show up and just have a party and nobody come. And here's what we'll do. We'll pray. We'll ask supporting questions. And we'll help each other be transformed into Christ-likeness between now and the end of spring. Depending on how many people are there, we'll probably divide up into, into groups that are small enough for that to happen effectively. We'll, we'll divide up into groups that are male or female in order for those conversations to be what they can be. But I'm willing to walk with you once a week between now and, and the end of spring. So next March, or excuse me, a week from tomorrow, March 25, at what time? And where is it? Okay, all right. Stand and let's sing a song response. <clears throat> Go in the peace and the power of the one who makes it possible to be transformed into Christ-likeness. Amen? Amen. Amen.